Oh boy, we're on the mend because look out, it's night's end. You're listening to The Run. It is The Run. This is The Run. It is The Run. The Run Podcast. Hi, hello, how you doing? This is a run, a podcast about comic book runs, be it characters, creators, or sagas. I'm your host, David Boyce. With me, as always, is Jonathan Kovacs. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, sir. How are you? Uh, fantastic. And with us sometimes is not Christopher Boyce. He's out on assignment. However, you're going to get his thoughts at the end of this episode. All you Chris fans out there, relax. He's here in spirit somehow. So, night's end. We are finally coming to the end literally, of this story, this whole Nightfall saga. Last time where we left off, Jean-Paul has slowly gone insane, more violent. The suit, the bat suit has become just a walking tank. Bruce Wayne searched for Dr. Consolving as well as a method to heal his back, which was the magical Jesus touch. Bruce is back in Gotham, ready to take back the mantle away from Jean-Paul, but he needs to get training to get his confidence back before we get into that, though, let's run down the issues. Batman 509 to 510, Shadow of the Bat 29 and 30, Detective Comics 676, 677, and Legends of the Dark Knight 62 and 63. There's also Catwoman 12 and 13, Robin number 8, and the epilogue Showcase 94, issue number 10. Writers, Doug Monk, Alan Grant, Chuck Dixon, Joe Duffy. Artists, Mike Manley, Brett Blevins, Graham Nolan, Ron Wagner, Tom Grummet, Jim Ballant. Right out the gate, I don't understand this, where Bruce has to get his confidence back. He's If he's the world's greatest detective and the world's greatest fighter, this should be like riding a bike for him. Yeah, he got his back healed, and maybe he needs to just exercise a little bit, but the fact that he thinks that he needs all this weird ninja training from Lady Shiva to I think, get his groove back, see, much when like I, Stella. When I reread this, I finally realized what it is, is that he, he needs to get his groove back, but it's one of the, he has the muscle and he's got the skill, but he hasn't used them, so he, he needs Lady Shiva to help him get the muscle memory back. I finally figured out. I thought, again, when we were kids, when we read this, I thought he went off on a long one-year training and relearned everything. Yeah, I thought Talia just, Al Ghul and yeah, Grace Chan trained and, him too. So. You know, after finally rereading this, and I realized what happened, again, after... Re- reading the search and that horror story that that was it was just that you know he's healed he has all the skills there it's just he had a stroke and he forgot how to pick up the pencil he just needs to be reminded as soon as he picks it up and figures it out it all comes back and that's what happens all the stuff comes flooding back to him that he had before so yeah it's it's a very i I feel like they could have did it better again it's kind of convoluted but after realizing that i it works for me it's another gauntlet just like how broken bat was only this time it's just a bunch of lame-ass ninjas. This seems very Japanese tropey to me, and that's not just because there's Japanese characters going after him. You got the whole... Did you ever see the movie Ninja Scroll? This, this yeah. kind of reminded yeah. me of a poor man's Ninja Scroll where he had to keep going after each ninja that Lady Shiva sent inadvertently sent after him to get him to become stronger. And Each ninja had a different power, and they were stronger and stronger each time. Well, how's that any different than the first gauntlet when he went after ever the all the villains? Well, you're just you're just stereotyping because yeah. they're Japanese. Well, no, <laughs> no because oh okay, no all because right. later on as well, 
the the thing with that we'll get into it later with Azrael. That's a Sentai thing what they do with him or Dragon Ball Z for that matter, where the escalation just keeps going and going. You think they're defeated, but the escalation just grows and their look changes and nothing nothing really happens. They fight, they get beat, they come back, they look different, but they're stronger and they weren't really beat. Oh, okay, so, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, that's what I mean by that. Uh, um, I guess you're right, but I still liked it. No, no, this was this was. I'm not saying this was bad. I'm just you were. You you wanted something different than another gauntlet, is what you're saying? Or if you're gonna, all right, let's let's set this up right at the beginning. We get Lady Shiva, who is a villain in the Batman books, as well as Richard Dragon, which was a Denny O'Neill creation, who is DC's Iron Fist, essentially from the 70s and 80s. Okay, she is fighting. She goes to a old Japanese sensei somewhere in or in their Chinatown, or maybe it's a Chinese. They don't really say. Just someone of Asian descent. Yeah, that's the weird thing is that it's actually all in, takes place in Gotham City, which I did not know at first. I yeah, it, she, it's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. they do, again, they don't do a very good job of explaining it. And she comes to challenge this master, and if she defeats the master, he warns that his uh, disciples will come after her. And she's wearing a bat mask, like a literal bat mask. The mask of Tengu is what they call it, which is a pretty cool outfit that Bruce picks up. We get the sensei. J- who's sitting at the time jumping up ready to fight and we find out he has no arms whatsoever which i thought was pretty fucking funny <laughs> i think he's pretty badass actually yeah if he's just, able to train all these other disciples without yeah. any arms that's After pretty impressive he warns warns lady shiva of this altercation this is what's going to happen he she also requires a witness i guess this witness can tell all the his disciples he takes off his robe where he's armless and they proceed to fight where she eventually kills him and this witness goes off to tell these ninjas. And then when she kills him, she goes back to where she's training Bruce and says, you have to wear this mask now. And Bruce is... Yeah, she's like, your real training is going to begin because he's already been there for a few weeks or something. Yeah. So she put a target on his back. Yes. Where exactly. he has to pay attention 24-7 <clears throat> while yes. training still. But the thing is, these ninjas, they have... They don't really have any power. Like I said, Ninja Scroll. Maybe that was a bad example. They're masters of their weapons. Yeah. And their fighting styles. Yeah. So you got is. a guy with a chain... And a kunai coming after him, and then you have a guy with sticks or a net coming after him. Then you have a guy with an eagle or a bird. I don't know what type of it was just some type of hawk coming after him, and so on and so on and so on. And he dispatches of them. She wants him to kill them though, which he doesn't do. Which is one of it is like I don't kill. Putting in that whole I'm different from Azrael. I don't want to kill, but she kills his first. Uh, I wouldn't say victim. After he beats the first opponent and brings him back, she just. Straight up. Oh yeah, she kills him. That was. I like that. That she grabs the chains and basically hangs him with it. Yeah, which he seemed kind of upset with, but he was just rolling with the punches there. And then he would report back whenever he would beat up another ninja that jumps him. Just like, yeah, I took care of him. Kind of really vague until at one point later on, there's the stereotypical giant dude, the Zangief type of arch type, big muscly dude, and he pretends to kill him while she's witnessing this to say that her. his training's finally complete, so she doesn't eventually kill him or something to that effect. His training wouldn't be... Complete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or he uses a maneuver, which that was confusing to me, that I, I felt like if she's watching him, she would see that he did not kill this guy. Or she was watching from across a building or something. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. He used some kind of strike, and the thing is that Robin and Nightwing are there, too, so they're shocked because they think Bruce yeah, end of issue. Guy. Yeah, end of issue stinger. Oh, you killed him, Bruce. Yeah, I yeah. can't believe that. And I just feel that Shiva would see that he didn't actually use this maneuver and, I guess, collapsed an artery for a second so that he looked dead. And then a second later, oh, he's breathing again. Oh, yeah. right after Shiva, of course, walks out. So, yeah. you know, he tricks her into thinking he finally killed, which was 
supposedly his final test with her, and then he's complete. Which at that point, he's like, well, she won't leave me alone until I kill somebody. Yeah, she was going to come after him. Yeah. So it was kill or be killed. Which is pretty stupid when I would imagine this high-profile ninja is still running around. She would get word of it at one point, but whatever. I do like, there was one fight with these... Was it six or seven? I counted six, but it seemed like he got jumped at one point by multiple ninjas as considering one of his seven tests. Seven, because the giant guy is not there. Oh, okay. Well, that's the other thing. All these ninjas, they all have the same outfit. Some are female and some are male, but for most part, their robes look similar. If they're all distinct and different looking... I would have liked that more. One of them has I like, like a chest tattoo. I like that their outfit tattoo. is all red and blue, but they're well, some of them wearing different outfits than others. But they're all the, similar. Yeah, I don't know. I like it because you figure the guy with the chains that Bruce fights first and then Shiva kills, he's just wearing pants and a belt yeah. and he's topless. Some guys are wearing geese. Other guys, I don't know what the one outfit is where it's like a coat. But more or less, they all look similar. It's just, yeah, some of them have exposed chests and some of them have different weapons. It would have been cool if they leaned into that a lot more and made it really stand out in their personality. I don't know. Cover the dude in chains. Like I don't, I don't, I think that's, nine, that defeats the purpose of being a ninja, though, or a martial well, artist. It's the 90s. Fucking I, make them look well, like the but again, You said they were purposely making a point to not to prove that the 90s stuff wasn't working. So. Yeah, that's why you have Batman easily dispatch of them. They're all a bunch of 90s edgelord ninjas, which would have been cool. He fights one ninja towards the end in the highway, which I really like. The highway yeah, fight. was awesome. Yeah, the, he gets knocked onto a busy highway at the time of the day, and he's fighting a ninja in between cars, and they eventually fight on top of one car that's moving. But guess what? Ninja number six or whatever was driving that car. So after he beats that one, he starts the next one. That's when it felt like there was deadlines, and they said, okay, we have to push all this shit together because he dispatches these ninjas in maybe the first four or five issues of this 10-issue crossover. It I feel rushed. this, yeah, this, this felt rushed in certain spots, and this could have... It wasn't bad, but it, I felt it could have been better, like I said, if you gave them more of a personality. While all this is going on... I do like the, the ninja uh, whenever, like you said, the he's fighting the one guy in traffic, which is pretty badass. Literally in the middle of the yellow, rush hour. yellow lanes. Yeah, it, yeah. It, they talk about rush hour. It's hilarious that he talks about... He mentions people going to work on third shift. Yeah, if it was actually rush hour, there would be a pretty yeah. <laughs> standstill and gridlock fight. These ninjas coordinate that he fights the one... And then manages to land on the car of the next ninja to fight is pretty awesome. Yeah. The only reason she loses actually is because she's stupid enough to use a chain in the middle of traffic and she catches it on the back of a tractor yeah, trailer. Yeah, she cell phones she, herself. Yeah, she gets dragged down the street on this tractor trailer, probably going 40 or 50 miles an hour. And then it's like, well, that's your dumb fault. Yeah, that was, that was, I didn't see that coming. That was pretty amusing. While all this is going on, Asriel has gone completely nuts. He's muttering to him. <laughs> He's laying on the floor or the steps of the bat cave to sleep. And then he just wakes up and starts mumbling about gun runners and how he has to kill them all. Just completely incoherent and babbling all over the place. And this is where we alluded to last week where there's some incontinuity crossover stuff where he actually mentions all the villains that he fought. Jigsaw is he one says, I can't. Yeah, he says, I can't fail. I've got to protect Gotham like he did, alluding to Bruce. And he mentions how he's defended against Macross, that shitty... I forgot who that was. I had to actually go back and look it up. That was the, uh, yeah, the guy dumb. that chanted... He had his own version of the system, the robot super yeah. soldier guy. Out of all the people to mention... Now, Jigsaw <laughs> makes sense, but yeah. Why wouldn't you mention the Joker or something? Or Joker or Mr. Freeze, yeah. Macross, Jigsaw, Abattoir. And I had to reread that 
a couple of times just to make sure I wasn't on goofball because I, that's the only time I've ever seen a non-crossover book reference something so blatantly. They, you've had things in the past with Spider-Man and Savage Dragon where they both guest starred in each other's books because of Steve Gerber, the creator of Howard the Duck. He was writing two books at the time, a Savage Dragon book and a Spider-Man team-up book. He's had them cross over just in cameo pa- panels. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bizarre. Those characters were black. What's out, interesting so. is I don't know if I would have really noticed that he said Jigsaw if we hadn't read that Lake of Fire because I've read this before and I've glossed over that yeah, fact. Yeah. And well, those generic Abattoir and Mecross, I mean, that just makes you want to fall asleep right there. Yeah, and then the fact that the next group of hoodlums is the gun runners it's like really that's your name like you couldn't come up with a better gangster name i don't even know it's a gangster name i think i was just generic gangsters and you just called them gun runners they weren't calling themselves that well maybe then that's just poor writing on the just call them well he refers to all them because he he that's all he's going after in this is gun runners yeah that's true there's no other villain besides i guess batman in his eyes when he kicks them out of the Batcave and they fight. But there's no other Batman villain that shows up in this besides the ninjas for Bruce. Yeah, I don't understand why they wouldn't use... Because Gunrunners is a generic gangsters or hoodlums. Yeah, so well, I, it, it shows what they're, they're, they specialize in, I suppose. It's just not bad writing. Bruce has made Robin surveil Asriel for intel while he's training. He notices that Asriel's talking to himself and going ins- going even more insane than usual. And this is because Asriel's getting the visions of St. Dumas nonstop as well as his, his father telling him how much of a failure he is. But we've been getting this since the crusade, halfway through the crusade. I guess the one, there, there's the old St. Dumas looking guy. Yeah. And then there's the more modern... His father. Looking one. And yeah, he finally recognizes that it's his father. Yeah. And like you said, the, the funny thing, you you say he's talking to himself and whatnot. First off, he's wearing a helmet. So if any normal person, how we always talk to ourselves, if you're sane, although I think that's a sign of insanity half the time. It's the fact that he's like on a rooftop, jerking, ranting and raving at these visions and Robin and, and then later yeah, on night looks his hands at him. Up to the air. Yeah, the fact, what the hell is he doing? Yeah. He literally looks like a crazy person on the street. Yeah, well, he is screaming at the top of his lungs. Well, that too, but while he's in between these incoherent speeches to himself while Robin's watching, he gets, Ezreal gets to jump on these gun runners. We see a new weapon get deployed here, which is his flamethrower, which is... I guess Chekhov's flamethrower at this point, and you'll we'll find out why later. Which is what I get back to with the Sentai thing. That flamethrower is what essentially causes him to get red armor for no reason. Yes. Yeah. So, but the head gun runner here is flipping a seal of Saint Dumas as a coin, which is a pretty big coin. I don't know. And he mentioned it used to be Lee Haas before Selkirk, who is a who is the head of these gun runners, inherited it. Now, Lee Haas, as we remember, is from Sword of Azrael. He was the guy that killed. As Jean Paul's father and was the villain for that series. If you did not read that miniseries, you have no idea what the fuck they're talking about at this point. Yeah, they do a really bad job of referencing older books. They don't even have a footnote in it. Yeah, and I read the, the times, and, and I feel like again when you compare Marvel books and a lot of other comics of the time, anytime they do that, I remember as a kid, I thought I was an idiot. I thought that <laughs> whenever they reference that, how they always have, I guess, the writers' names after it. They say the footnote. C. Yeah. They, they always say C issues x through z yeah and then the writer would say chuck and i always thought for some reason that was like just a comment that they said see these issues and they're talking to somebody specifically <laughs> i don't know why you thought that was just an editor note they accidentally left in there well no i thought that basically there was like they were like somebody asked the question and then they were referencing <laughs> dave over there and chuck over there and barry over the there editor. yeah i yeah, yeah. I, I was a kid what do you want <laughs> But the fact that DC did not 
Well, if they were in the issues, although no, you read the ones online, so that's poor editing on their part that they did not reference any of that. And like you said, if you did not get any of the sort of Azrael stuff, you have no idea who this guy is. And he goes on a freaking tirade about Lehi the whole rest of his arc until Bruce shows up and confronts him. Or that's the whole reason they do get confronted, or they confront each other, actually. And yep. it's a major snafu that they didn't reference it, I think. because They, it, they go into it very briefly several issues later. We mentioned it before, but Night, Nightwing shows up to assist Bruce and Robin. Yeah, they while do reference Bruce the whole gets, thing. But. While Bruce gets to, towards the end of his training. But yeah, you're supposed to know who this Lehoff fellow is, and if you don't know, you... And they also mentioned Selkirk, who they, to my... Unless I missed something as well, they never referenced him before. And we don't figure out who Selkirk is until the Catwoman issues, which is a few issues later. Since they re- referenced him in passing that he's the guy that took over for Lehigh, which you and I know. Yeah. So that's fine. But basically, you can put one, it together. The guy basically, well, that's just like there was a new villain on the scene and these guys, that's the, their boss. And they just said, yeah. Mr. Big is taking over the business. Yeah. So I'm fine with them introducing a new character like that that's going to show up later as opposed to referencing an old character that you have no idea how important he actually is, but you don't reference you know, the issues that you need to read for that. Yeah. That's just stupid. But this, this Gunrunner guy, I don't even think we get a name for him, but he's just running, he's like a lieutenant for Selkirk, says that this medallion somehow helps focus his anger, which maybe actually does, and they go into the Azrael books with that. I don't know. We'll never know, but <laughs> that's not, we're not going to go that deep. But Asriel flies in while this is all going on, just starts. I don't know if he's actually killing them. He's more violently dispatching them. You see blood and you see him clawing people up and knocking them out, but it doesn't seem like they're dying. That's another major misstep at this point. He should be straight up at, at this juncture, just killing guys. Yeah. As has the flamethrower now, which we've never seen before. And he just starts lighting everything on fire in this warehouse with all these gun runners around, as well as shooting them with his batarang gun yeah i mean that's the other thing the battering gun whenever they show it hitting people in the hands every shot for the most part besides when he used it against bane he's shooting everybody's hands to get their guns out of it yeah those blades they show them sinking in i mean you figure they're probably the size of a half dollar or now i'm gonna oh, say a, i'm gonna say a, a eisenhower dollar there should be a lot of major hand surgeries going on at gotham city right now because people's arteries like their ligaments like these poor crooks, I mean, they're in a life of crime, yeah, but crooks. they can't use their hands anymore. They're, all their ligaments are gone. Just has no regard towards, I mean, he has no regard towards safety or people's lives, but it, it's just, it's funny the way they illustrate it and the fact that everybody's hands are useless. Yeah, he's, to my knowledge, he doesn't kill anyone. At least it doesn't look like he kills anyone, which is a major misstep. It should be at this point that Azrael has completely gone full psycho, which he has in a way with the whole St. Dumas screaming thing and living in the suit and never taking it off, which they mention as well later. They showed him sleeping in the cave on the steps in that suit. <laughs> and the back in and, and Bruce's uh, mansion is in cobwebs and whatnot. Maybe so. everybody in the DC universe is even the low-level people are tougher skin and stuff because you figure we've seen issues where people got hit in the face with a sledgehammer and they're kind of fine. Yeah, it's. I guess it's just a thing to comics code, maybe. Yeah. You would think back with the Crusade, which we've already kind of talked about, these new villains that showed up, they should have been killed. They, he had Abattoir die, but that was kind of a manslaughter fuck it thing. He didn't purposely kill him. He kind of just said, fuck it, I'll not help well, he went, him. He went crazy. Yeah, he did. But He had a vision whenever he fell off the chain. So. I, I know that, but I'm saying he didn't physically 
slash his throat or something like oh, that. Yeah. That's was, what I'm saying. Yeah. That towards the end of the crusade, he should have killed maybe all these jobber villains that we hated, the Mecross, the Melting Man or whatever the fuck it was, the Acid Man that I liked. I can't even remember his name. The the Gunhawk and Gun Bunny. Yeah. Those people. When he got the gun belt attached to him, he should have been able to kill them and that's where it should have ended. And then it should have just escalated where he just started lighting all these criminals on fire and shooting them in the face with these batarangs. Hey, I stopped it. He turns full Punisher without any consequences, though. He doesn't look out for innocence because he's gone full Yeah, you're probably blood right. Bloodlust. That would have been a lot better, but it just shows him, I don't know, making more property damage because that's what the cops start complaining about. It's like, Batman would never do this. He let a whole warehouse on fire and ran away. Yeah. No, you're probably right that they should have just had him go full Punisher. and Yeah. I mean, he even crawled. We, one of our most popular episodes. <laughs> he should have went full Punisher just like after he met him. That would have been, I mean, he mentioned Jigsaw. That would have been a kind of neat influence where he picked up on that. Like, hey, maybe this guy isn't so bad after all, and I should just get rid of these people for good. Well, he kind of is going that route anyway with yeah. the the armor and all the stuff he's doing anyway. He's not the same type of crime fighter that Batman actually is or right. Bruce Wayne is. He right. Again, he's not a detective, doesn't care about any of that stuff. All he cares about actually is being a blunt object. The whole point of this is that the extreme characters don't work, and I feel that this character could have worked if Bruce could rein him in, he could give him the armor and be like, all right, just don't kill anybody. Just use like a lot of rubber batarangs, but well, the- go bat shit crazy on all these crooks or on all these hoodlums and maybe they'll scare them straight. Well, that's kind of what happens in Asriel's from what I've gathered and read in wikis. That's kind of what happens in his own series. Oh, okay. All right. Where he becomes the agent of the bat at one point. <laughs> that's yeah. what his title is called. He's just getting more and more insane and going after all these gun runners. And like we mentioned, Bruce is fighting these ninjas in order to finally take on Azrael and get his mantle back which is stupid because Azrael says you're not allowed in this mansion anymore you're not allowed in the Batcave but Bruce legally owns it if you well, think about he's, it. he's <laughs> crazy yeah I know he's crazy but if you think about it if I let you live in my house for a bit and you went nuts and you had a gun I would probably call the cops this guy's living in my house I let him live here for the summer while I was vacationing abroad in Santa Frisca can you please get him out of my house? Of course, I can. That would expose him as being Batman, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's a fucking comic No, you're right. Book. You're right. Yeah, but, but you're the right. the fact that he's such a puss that he won't go back into his own house because of this crazy guy when easily you could even get Superman to help you out, but then that would defeat the purpose of Batman being Batman. I agree, but again, that's the whole point of why he does the training because whenever he initially goes back in that last issue of the search they confronted uh Azrael. he has all the muscle but he you know like i said he he doesn't remember how to use all his skills because he which is kind of also, also a lame excuse but it, it makes sense because he's been out of practice for so long and he's been terrorized by bane and all this other stuff he had that lame sickness that caused all this problem yeah. so he recognizes that it, right now like in my prime, I'm way better than this Yehu, but I need a little bit of time to get back there. Thankfully, he's only killed one person because <laughs> I created this giant monster. Which, thankfully, he references that. That was a big fuck up on his mistake on his part that yeah. he let this psychopath that he thought he could trust after five minutes give him the mantle. I'm glad they go into that, especially in the next chapter, Prodigal. Yeah, because I did not know anything about that. I just knew it was related and it answered all my questions episodes ago when i said why doesn't he get a hold of nightwing so it's nice that they referenced there's a lot of yeah i mean that's we're getting ahead of ourselves but there was a lot of stuff in there that i feel like if i had more time i'd like to actually read a lot of that stuff so Mm -hmm. i could get where uh dick's coming from right but we can get to that next episode okay bruce 
he, he's just doing the training with Lady Shiva. To, like they say, you never forget how to ride a bike. But sometimes if you and I pick up a bike now, we don't remember, but it's going to take a, I'll be honest, it might take a little while to get back to like how you used to be able to ride it really well. Like, two minutes. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> that's fine. But again, you might goof up for the first two minutes or, you know, it's right. You're back on two wheels the whole time. Bruce is up on a ledge looking oh, yeah, down he, yeah, they and he takes him like three or four times before he finally jumps off and grapples grapples and is like he was nervous before for some reason and again i guess it's because he and he knows that his skills aren't all there his reflexes aren't all there shaking and, the nerves yes and the fact that I, I like that they did that a bunch of times and then he finally once he jumps off the ledge and makes the grab and he's like i'll know when it's ready and the first time i did this i was really scared but as soon as i made the swing and i knew i was destined for this life the last time he finally does it it's like riding a bike for him and yeah I like that progression that it took him a while to get back to where he needed to be, where yeah. he knew he needed to be to be able to take the mantle back and take on Azrael. Yeah, every other chapter, it seemed he was getting up on that ledge to grapple off, but pauses and eventually does it. Yeah, that was a... No, I, I did enjoy that. Another thing, we were talking about how John Paul doesn't kill. He interrogates... He's, he's still looking for Lehaw. He thinks Lehaw is alive, and I'm certain at this point that he's alive as well. And he interrogates this one guy at one point. In Candy? A, Yes, named Candy, <laughs> in a abandoned warehouse, and he covers him in rats to question him. He gets the information he needs for gun runners at some strip club, but he leaves him there with the rats and says he'll come back for him, which would have been perfect for him to die. And he said he was going to call the cops after he checks this out to let him go, but he's going to stay with the rats until otherwise, and they're going to gnaw all over him. He should have forgot to call the cops, or the cops should have found him eventually, which they do. It should have been one of those acceptable losses things where... He's chewed up to death, but that probably would have been way too gory for the comic. Oh, uh, no, as well. no. See, the guy you left with, a, that wasn't Candy. That was one of Candy's underlings. Okay. Well, so the, the weird thing is, like with Candy, which makes no sense to me. It's a guy named Candy. <laughs> yeah. First off, he finds him at the stripping pole, which I like. Asriel wants Candy to take him to the guy that sold him the drug or the guns, I believe. So they go to, they go up there, and it, the guy's dead. The guy that sold the gun to the gun runners, the gun, the shipments to the gun runners is dead. The next time we see him, Candy is hiding out in the most abandoned, broke-ass looking apartment. And Azriel's like, you threatening him. And he's like, tell me everything you didn't tell me about the gun runners before. And I'm like, why did you let him go? I, it doesn't make any sense to me why he... They were up new, in the apartment and it's like, it looks like he's all pissed off because the guy that sold Candy the guns is dead. And he's still saying Lehigh because he's crazy. And then he's turns the flamethrower on. I'm like, is he burning down the apartment complex? Yeah, it's... And then he lets Candy go, and he's like, whoa, you ran... Why didn't you put him in cuffs and take him to the cops? It's an issue transition. But it just doesn't... Uh, it, it's yeah. weird. It's just... Again, it's, I guess it proves a point that Azriel's a bad crime yeah. fighter. But. but anyway, what I was originally going to say was... Sorry. The rats should have ate through that guy. That would have been a nice little touch to showing how uh, uncompassionate he is at this point. No, the cops find him, and he's scared of rats for the rest of his life. But I also want to give props to surprise Mike Mignola cover. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, his cover's fantastic. Yeah, he only has one cover. I believe it's on part four, Legends of the Dark Knight. Your standard Mike Mignola, two characters kind of just standing there. Yeah. Uh, at attention, but the way he draws, I, I can't do it justice. Go search that down. Uh, I believe it's Legends of the Dark Knight. Yeah, it has a, it has Asbats standing right next to Tengu, Tengu Batman, Bat, Tengu Bruce Wayne. Yeah, it's a really nice Legends of the of Dark Knight sixty two. Yeah, it's a really nice piece of artwork actually. Yeah, so Azrael gets all this information and ends up in a boatyard where I wrote down in my notes the nineties in one picture. 
Suddenly, Cable Liefeld armor shows up, and they fight, and he blows up Cable Liefeld. This guy looks exactly like Leha from Sword of Asriel, so we yeah. thought this was him, but I don't even think Asriel mentions that it is him. It's just some guy coming out of the smoke saying, I'm going to kick your ass, essentially, blindsides Asriel. Well, because he's like a cyborg almost. Yeah, he, like- he's he's just a walk. He looks like, over, he looks like Overkill and Cable. Overkilled from Swan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the way his face is, because I'll be honest, I actually thought that they were going to bring Leha back. I did too. I thought and that I was thought, him. Uh, yeah, because then Asbats kicks the crap out of him. And the next time we get back to the boatyard, the cops are fishing this suit of armor out of the water and the guy has a helmet on. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Like, and then you clearly see it's not Leha. And again, like you said, it's <sighs> editorial miscues or whatnot. But yeah. to me, it's a very poorly done miscue where they didn't coordinate the character design. And so, yeah, for the while, I'm thinking it is Leha, and then it's it's not. And that's fine, but he's got the, such a hard on for Leha that, I don't know. Spoiler it's alert, Leha does not show up. Leha's dead the entire time. It, it was very confusing. Yeah. Because the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, he is going to show back up, and then... He never does. By the time Bruce dons his Batman costume, it was pretty clear that Lee Haw is not going to show up. Now that all that madness has happened, yeah, let's just let's just get into it. Bruce suits up with help from Nightwing and Robin, and they go off to fight Azrael. But while this is going on, Catwoman has decided to uh, enter the fray in this crossover, and she's looking for Selkirk, the Gunrunner boss, as well. And she's just looking for cybernetic enhancements, I believe. Yeah, like, she's she actually- was very her part in this crossover. Besides tying in the Bat family books more going forward. Her crossover part was kind of unnecessary. It was. Yeah. Yeah, because Selkirk is a head of the Gunrunners, but he also apparently is holding a cybernetic chip implant that you could basically... It helps people with spinal injuries. Yeah, which is a character in her books needs. Yes. And so that's the whole reason that it all (laughs) intertwines for all... five minutes and yeah. she shows up and then she recognizes you could take her her parts completely out of the book and it wouldn't matter yeah and again because the, then the, the the next issue of hers is in an aftermath and it's like this shouldn't even be in here it shouldn't even she should not have been in the aftermath books were not necessary at all for this no she's on uh, we'll get to it yeah second. they bridge they bridge maybe two pages and then they go off into their own thing Azrael descends upon selkirk and his goons while catwoman is there then batman gets to jump on Azrael while they're all up in this penthouse somewhere by a bridge and they finally showed out. Also, while this is going on, I asked you this off mic a while ago. Azrael is fighting a bunch of Selkirk goons. At one point, he starts getting these red splotches on him, which I can't tell if they're if it's blood or not. He gets shot at, and then yeah, because he it shows he's climbing up the elevator shaft. There's a bunch of goons. It's like something out of Kill Bill. That's how many goons are. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he him. just comes out. He, he shoots the flamethrower out of the elevator, elevator door. Batarang's blazing, and then the next scene is just all these little red dots on him. And yeah, I'm gonna say it's all blood. And so are we assuming that he's finally murdering these guys? I think that the hands, he's, he's close enough that finally where he shoots them in the hands and there's enough arterial blood spray <laughs> that it's just like. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, it doesn't even look like blood, but this is another one of those things where it might be a comics code issue. I don't know, but it's just red dots. Maybe the maybe his paint was starting to finally burn, like it burns later on, and because there was so much fire, it just started no, it's to, that's it just started to spread, oh. and that was the beginning of the red suit. You know what? That you, that might be. 
I don't know. It's just it's probably not. I'm just trying yeah, to I'm trying no to make you mad it. right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I don't know. Maybe have his claws. Does his claws? It's mood armor. It's color changing mood armor. Yeah, he's he's in water, so he's going to change colors. But at this point, he has red splotches and dots all over him. Like I said, it looks like more like laser pointers are constantly on him than actual blood. I'm only going to assume it's blood at this point. Uh, I'm assuming that's what it's supposed to be, which yeah. doesn't make any sense that they. It, it's stupid. It, yeah. it was a poor editorial choice. Yeah. Or if you're going to make it blood, make it on his hands. Yeah, because, I mean, it it ends up on the back, all over his goofy cape, which doesn't make any sense that none of it's on his body. Yeah, yeah. it's all in his cape and helmet. It's not anywhere else. That's why I said it looks like laser pointers. Like, remember when the Undertaker in the the late 90s in the Attitude Area, whenever he'd come in, there'd just be laser pointers (laughs) everywhere. That's what it looks like. He looks like the fucking Undertaker during his entrance in the Attitude Era. So at this point, Batman, Nightwing, and Robin show up as well at the top of Selkirk's penthouse to take on Asriel. But Selkirk escapes in a chopper with a couple of his lieutenants while Batman and Asriel are fighting above this Brooklyn-like bridge. I think Asriel is able to knock out the helicopter. And the helicopter luckily lands on top of one of those arches for those bridges. So it's teetering on the edge and rocking back and forth. And I believe a fuel tank ruptures at one point, which covers Asriel while they're fighting, while he's fighting Batman, Robin, and Nightwing off. And Catwoman's only there to rescue Selkirk to get his cybernetic shit. Oh, yeah, because he figured out that she wants the chip. So, he, of yeah. course, he pockets it and walks away. So she just there to grab it. Yeah, so that's what she's there for. And she reluctantly helps Bruce rescue them out of the helicopter before it falls off. While they're fighting, Asriel gets covered in fuel at this point from the helicopter. And as he's fighting Bruce, Robin, and Nightwing, he activates that flamethrower we saw at the beginning of this story, and he lights himself on fire and falls into the water below. I don't know. It was some good art of him getting caught on fire, I guess. I'm trying to look at positive things in this. It makes... Well, what's weird is, now that I'm reread looking over it, they had grappled onto the... Was it the propeller on the back of the... Is that the propeller that's on the back of the helicopter? The rear... We'll just say the rear propeller. Um, Everyone knows where they grappled, grappled onto the back of it. So they're flying on it. And I guess because of that, they lost kind of control of the helicopter because they don't really remember. It does a really bad job of explaining. And then Selkirk wants them to land in the river. And the guy's like, I can't. Nothing's responding the bridge. And then, like you said, they crash and land on top of one of the, okay. the bridge pillars. And so at this point, they're dropping <clears throat> the gas tanks start leaking. And yeah. And then it gets on Asriel yeah, while and, they fight. And Batman and Asriel, are, it's pretty cool because they're fighting on top of the uh, the suspension. The cables. Yeah. Bruce recognizes that they're, all this fuel's dripping on them. He sees it. He starts the flamethrower, kicks him off. And as soon as Asriel tries to burn him, yeah, like you said, he ignites himself and he crashes into the river. Yeah. So Jean-Paul, after he falls in the river, we get Batman and Catwoman rescuing, rescuing the, the, the gangsters. Yes. So Batman goes off into his Batmobile. So now they go back to the fact that Bruce will save anybody. So Bruce and Catwoman go up to the helicopter and rescue all the gangsters. And right before it blows up, Bruce is saying that he knows the river goes a certain way. So he thinks that's where Azrael will be because he fell in the river. So he jumps into the Batmobile and then it blows up because Gene Paul booby trapped it. Right. And at that point, Nightwing and Robin were looking at it. And that's when Azbats comes out of the river wearing the red outfit, and it's game on for them. Which, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, is the Dragon Ball Z trope of Frieza dying and coming back as a stronger person or cell or who the fuck ever. This is his final, more, more ultimate form. He's not necessarily stronger, but it's just a new look. I think well, Chris mentioned it last episode or so, but he looks more like... Oh, no, he mentioned that with the hood, but he looks like Asriel's 
original costume though. Yeah, with the, the red colors. And gold. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I believe that is the only point to that. It's it's just weird that he's covered in fuel in the fire varnished only that part of his outfit to look red. It's just for deny- dynamic effect. The last panel of that issue where he's revealed is a big splash page of him rising and looking different. But with them thinking Bruce is dead, Nightwing starts going after him one-on-one. Robin know. does the responsible hero thing and starts saving people from burning cars, which I like. Yeah. We get a really cool, I don't know, the, the fight between Ra- or Nightwing and Asriel is pretty cool, I think, because they start, yeah, Nightwing kicks him off the bridge, and then Asriel grabs him, and they just start falling towards the river and eventually make it down there, and then they start fighting underwater, make it over to a river barge, and just start fighting in a uh, <clears throat> river casino. And it's kind of funny, because then there's one point where they're just tearing up this casino, and everybody's, like, in terrorized. <laughs> and there's this woman at the penny slots and she's like freaking out. Not she's not freaking out, but Nightwing's like, get out of here. And she's like, No, I've been playing this all night. I'm yeah. not leaving it. Yeah. Asriel just kicks the crap out of Nightwing. Mostly because again, I think because Nightwing's more concerned about the people than he is his opponent. Right. And Asriel's just concerned about getting out of there. We also get Robin seeing that Bruce is actually alive. <laughs> Go figure. Because he says, you know he, what, he, I realized at the last minute, Gene Paul booby-trapped the Batmobile, which is what I would have done. Yeah. He, he just Batmans his way out of it, essentially. At the very end of that issue, we get a really cool mirror image of End of Nightfall, where Gene Paul makes it back to the mansion in the Batcave and saying that somebody's up in the uh, mansion, and he starts walking back up the steps, and then... He thinks it's Robin. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's just like when Batman came after the final parts of Broken Bat, where, yeah, he's... He's declared, Azra's declared himself the winner of the crusade and it's over and that Gotham is his because he thinks everyone's dead, but then he thinks that Robin, he hears someone at the top of the stairs, well, no, the, same, the it, same stairs that Bruce goes up, up before Bane gets revealed. And Well, it's the exact same shot. It's basically yeah, shot it's shot for, for shot, shot. Where he and, walks through the, um, or the broken bricked up, I guess that used to be where the clock was, right? Yes. He walks up through it and it, He's all shocked, and all of a sudden there's Batman standing there in the exact same image of Bane pointing at him saying, it's just me. You've got a lot to answer for. Yeah, which Dixon and Nolan did. They did that same issue too, so Nolan redid his own art there, which I'm fine with. And we get, I think it's pretty cool. I yeah. like the fact that it's... That was my favorite part of Broken yeah. Bat, where he just is standing there saying, it's you. And then finally, we get them fighting inside wade manor finally batman versus john paul final round batman is trying to make sense of everything and telling and trying to give him a chance after all this nonsense to just stop just stop yeah we can work on this together which batman bruce has given him way too much credit here instead of just trying to dispatch him like at this point it just 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 put him down and worry about it later and he's just telling him how he can't keep doing this and all the stuff that we've mentioned about how he's not a good detective and He's just brute forcing it and killing people, and they eventually get to what seems to happen every, I don't know, 45 issues where they get into the cave where Bruce fell as a boy to first see the bats. He gets down to the part of that cave where Azrael's armor is too bulky, so he has to take it off. Well, what's cool is, yeah, so what's interesting is they fight, and I just realized that, that even the last time Bruce came up the clock entrance unless he has multiple clock entrances he that's probably just an artist thing yeah he goes back to another clock and it opens and it's booby trapped so he figured like you said he goes to where the hole is when he first fell in the cave years ago oh and i forgot to mention this also mirrors the bane fight where it's a more successful fight where instead of him just getting his ass kicked while falling down the stairs he's actually evading and leading john paul down there 
Well, no, Gene, see what happens is... All right, I gotta edit all that out now. Yeah. <sighs> so after Bruce tries to reason with Gene Paul, uh, he just says, no, it's all mine. He, he's just going completely insane. And I like that Bruce actually tries to reason with him because I feel like he recognizes that this is all his fault and he wants to stop it. This is just Bruce he's trying to save his own fucking ass. Well, yeah, he is. So Gene Paul starts throwing shurikens at him. At one point, Bruce grabs a... He grabs a painting that Gene Paul tore off the wall of Bruce's father and destroyed. Bruce shields himself and then it gives Gene Paul enough time to run down to the cave. Bruce realizes that he... Gene Paul probably doesn't know about the hole when he first fell in the cave years ago when he was a boy. He has no idea what's actually down there. Right. You know, Bruce just gave him the mantle, but he doesn't understand all the history that's involved. So Bruce goes through the hole and then he patches it back up and he comes up with an idea. And he realizes there's the hole he's crawling through is going to be too big for all Gene Paul's bulky armor. He comes to the conclusion somehow that if he takes off the helmet, that he'll go back to his normal self and the system will stop taking over John Paul, which I don't know how he figured out that math, but whatever. This is the final issue. Oh, and Denny O'Neill's writing this, so maybe that's why. Just ridiculous lengths to explain things. So he crawls back down to the, or he, Bruce crawls into the cave, and it's interesting that at this point, Gene Paul's like sitting in the bat chair at the computers, and he's completely like zoned out. I don't know if he's just having more visions we don't see, and he's just, again, he's, he's crazy at this point. So Batman yells at him, and then he leads him back to the tunnel. And Batman can easily get through because he's wearing the slim armor, I'll call it. It's, it's his, his normal his costume. Normal suit, yeah. yeah. Not that and bulk. Gene mess. Paul can't make it through because of his ridiculous armor. It's and, kind of funny. They show Batman's vision at one point, seeing Jean Paul try to uh, lash out at him, and he's like stuck in a hole. Well, not stuck, but he can't get through the hole. So he's just like, <laughs> I went, nah, trying to like, I'm going to get you, like in a horror movie or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what other movie, like any movie where there's a monster trying to grab somebody and a kid or some and character. And just out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. And so he realizes like, he's. He knows that he has to take the suit off, which he does, but he leaves a helmet on. Yeah, so and he's they got their his night pants. vision. Go- they, but they both have their night vision lenses in. He says, "Yeah." And we see that they're right above the patched up entrance. That at this Bruce point, fell down as a kid. Yeah, and so at this point, Bruce also said re- prior that it's almost dawn. So you know what's going to happen at this point. John Paul finally gets in there. He's going to kill him. But then Bruce blinds him by opening up the the patched up hole where he fell as a kid. And you have some weird redemption Jesus shot of like light just coming down and John Paul screaming. It looks very religious, but I mean, his character. I think that I actually like this. I think that's pretty cool because you figure he's still has the night vision lenses in. He'd be honestly blind probably because you figure, you know, he. Yeah, I mean, he is. He he gets blinded and and he has to take the helmet off. And then as soon as he does, he realizes he's, you know, he's screaming. I can't see. Can't see. But you are the Batman. You've always been the Batman. Yeah. He sees Batman is his first vision in a religious looking light. Batman is his personal Jesus or something to that effect. And Batman's just like, okay, we're we're cool, guy. I just need you to leave. Yeah, that's a. I don't just, get me wrong. Yeah, the, like I like the coming to Jesus moment here. I'll call it that, I guess. But I think that was a pretty cool way to make Gene Paul finally realize he's not right for this job by blinding him and making him take the helmet off. Because at this point, he's probably been wearing the suit for the longest time. The last time he took this helmet off was probably whenever uh, Alfred came and saw him. During the search, yeah, like which he they probably forgot about. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, like he, they, they would show him sleeping in the suit. Like he's been wearing this thing yeah. nonstop. So I'm guessing it has a pretty good uh, filtration system for bowel movements and peeing. But which is pretty yeah. cool. So you could probably, you know, he could make some decent money on selling that stuff to the military. That's a whole different conversation. But the fact I like that 
It's just him seeing the light. It's literally him seeing yeah. the light. That's what Denny O'Neill wanted Azrael to do. And Batman is the light. But the fact that there's two pages left after this where Batman says, okay, you need to leave. I don't want to see you as Batman ever again. I don't want to see you fighting crime. Just get out of here. And that's it. If you did not read the aftermath stuff, which is only a couple pages in each issue that really matter, let's just go over that part real quick. So Tim, well, Tim, yeah, like you said, I hate to say it, like nowadays they books always like any type of long arcing thing always has that boring aftermath issue that really doesn't do anything. But this one actually needs something where Bruce actually the whole issue admits to everybody I was completely wrong and I let this psychopath loose and they never really. He admits that he was wrong for doing it. They get into that in the prodigal story, though. A little bit. And if but you don't, at the time when these collections first came out years and years ago, you never got that. You just got the the Night's End book, and that was it. Yeah. It was just a big fart. I don't think these epilogues were first printed with that stuff. The epilogues, like I said, it was Robin and Catwoman. Catwoman gets her chip, I think, and Robin... Oh, the Catwoman just, issue is useless, because all it is is her starts out with her on the uh, cables... Yeah, it's just realizing there's two Batman. Yeah. yeah. And then she gets a chip and she gives it to the guy that I guess she was dating, that guy that got paralyzed. That was it. Yeah. Oh, Gordon. I think Gordon realizes that Bruce is back because they see the, the cops have also seen that uh, Batman was fighting Batman at this point as well. Gordon is pretty fed up with all this shit. They dive deeper into that more so in the prodigal storyline. Yeah. The only good thing is at the beginning, Bruce says... No, it's me, Tim. And he confronts him. And they discuss that it was a mistake. And at the very end, it's the whole... It, it's Robin, so it's actually more about him dealing with his girlfriend and home life. But then he has to yeah. bust some guys that... He has Spider-Man problems, Peter Parker problems. Which is actually kind of fun to read. Yeah. But then there's a break-in at the uh, museum. Lo and behold, Batman's already there. And then Rob... There's a crook that's sneaking up on Batman with a gun. And the whole... Robin meeting Batman at the museum thing is just a thing to show that Batman's still type of a loner and not working with Robin, which they're going to tie into his prodigal as well as how they work better as a team. And Batman, it's not wrong for Batman to ask for help. Yeah, because the, they're for hinting the, towards for the that. longest time. Uh, he treated Tim. It's interesting that he would like he let him be Robin because for a while he just treated him as like a nuisance almost. Yeah. And then at the back end of this issue, Tim knew that he needed to stay in the shadows. There was a one crook with a gun sneaking up on Batman, and Tim dispatches him. And he says to Batman, you left yourself wide open. And Bruce is like, no, I didn't. You were there. So it, yeah. it sets up that he's... It's being he's, cheeky. Yeah, but he fin- it's like it, they, may, they recognize that he's finally changing and accepting the help that yeah. he has available to him. Yeah. And we, we mentioned the Catwoman stuff is just useless. Just to realize there's another uh, Bruce is back and she gets her little stupid computer chip. And I guess the only issue for these epilogues that mattered was Showcase 94, which doesn't even matter. Yeah, Yeah. it was kind of it was a horrible issue. It just shows Jean Paul being homeless and he talks to a homeless guy or a homeless guy talks to him, I should say. And it's just a recap (laughs) of what happened and then, oh, yeah, this homeless guy also just found booze nonchalantly. Well, it's funny It's funny because he's walking through the streets, and he's walking towards a, uh, a bunch of homeless people at a barrel fire. And he's just walking up to the fire, and the guys are like, oh, it looks like a cop. Let's get out of here. So he just sits down by the fire. and then I don't want to sit next to a cop either. And then one guy shows up with a booze, and they're like, they're complaining. They're like, I'm freezing. He, and they're like, that's our pitch. He has no right. We got to gang up and chase him away. You left. Yeah, he's just sitting there like you're a bunch of I mean, again, it 
whatever. But I'm like, it just makes me laugh that they're all bitching and moaning. I'm like, you ran out of there. It's your yeah. own fault. But after this homeless guy with the booze talks to Jean-Paul about bad times and stuff, there's like flashbacks of Jean-Paul's entire history as Ever. Batman in a couple panels because Showcase is a, a monthly book of revolving artists and writers and characters kind of like marvel comics presents or something to that effect and jean paul ends up leaving just like whatever fuck this i'm out of here turns out there's people that own that booze and they're gonna beat up the homeless guy but jean paul comes back and becomes a hero and beats them all up and or threatens them i should say and then all the homeless people are like yeah let's all drink yeah let's all drink you know what life's not so bad even though i stole your booze let's all come together jean paul walks off stumbling holding his head Oh, what poor me. And that's it. That's the final night's end portion of this book. Yeah. The only thing else it does is it recaps all the Asriel, Asriel stuff. Yeah. That's what I said. I mean, if you get a, well, I mean, even beginning, like the sort of Asriel stuff that we go, that if you didn't read it, you yeah. know, it, it does that real fast, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, I feel bad for anybody that bought this, has this <laughs> issue in their collection. I think it's worth anything. Cause it's not, it's, it's better than the search. It's a step up from the search. I don't know, because it doesn't do anything. The search at least healed Bruce's back. Well, no, I mean, it got rid of Azrael in a martial... All right. Oh, you're talking... I'm talking about the showcase. I mean, like, uh, that showcase no, issue I mean, is completely useless. Yeah. The, if any of you had to read any of the epilogue issues, it would probably be that, because you'd be wondering, all right, well, where the fuck did he go? Because Batman said, you're a bad guy. Please leave. Instead of bringing him to the police or something to that effect. Or Leslie Tompkins or something, so she could get... He could get him help. Anything. Yeah. yeah. He just was like... Yeah, you're right. He just like he, he just lets him go. You walks fucked away. up really bad. You killed someone inadvertently, and you let another guy die. We really hammered that point home. But go on. Meanwhile, some fucking <laughs> guy going. breaks into a car. Batman breaks his collarbone and throws him at the police station. It's it's I, I don't. All right, what do you rate this? Uh, I still thought that Night's End was actually good um, compared to the rest of it because uh-huh. it finally tied it up. I, I really liked a lot of when Bruce was getting his groove back. Uh huh. Uh, I'll give it like a seven. Wow. Okay. I gave it a six. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not terrible, but it's not great. And some of the ninja stuff was fun, even though I was complaining about it. It was better than the search and Night's Quest. So. I did like Nightwings. Yeah. Well, bouncing after that, anything is more likely better than that. I liked uh, Nightwings mullet. There's two things. Ponytail. Well, there's two other things that I liked about it. One was in following with the way that the Batman logo was eclipsed before and then changed. Oh yes. Yes. I had that in my notes. Uh, they did a thing where it now shattered and then the pieces were falling off. Yeah. Each each cover had the Azrael logo that was shattered in pieces would fall more and more pieces would fall off with each issue until the Batman logo, the original Batman logo was revealed. The other thing I liked that we didn't mention was at one point, Robin and Nightwing go off fighting crime together and they have a very nice dynamic together. Like the two yeah. of them work as a really good team. Yeah, which, which is kind of a uh, precursor. Yes, to Prodigal. Yeah, which we'll cover next time. So. Yeah. All right, so we'll get Chris's rating. Like I said before, I'm going to talk with Chris and see what he thought about this. It's not going to be too long, I would imagine, because this issue, this episode's already pretty long as itself. He's just going to give us his thoughts on it real quick and then uh, get his rating and then get the final rating on this episode. And uh, that's about it. Jonathan, if you have... An email question, where would you send that email to? The runpod at gmail.com. What if it was about home improvement, though? Um, Electrical-wise? Yeah. I guess you could email me, although I don't know if I'm going to give my email address out here. Well, I was just going to say, any question, you could email to anyone. But 
Yes, the run I guess pod, we could run it yeah. to go to the run pod at gmail.com yeah. and I could answer all your electrical questions too. <laughs> that would be funny if people just started doing that. Right. Hey, I'm pretty good at it. It's what I get paid for. This one comes in from Clarinet Guy 73. That's a weird one. W- guys, I know you've read comic books for a long time by the way you've been talking about this nightfall nonsense, but what are comic books that have actually made you emotional? Is that possible for you in this art form or do you just read them nonchalantly and just move on? Has there ever been a comic book that's moved you emotionally? Yeah. yeah. And I'd have to look it up. But it was an issue of Uncanny X-Men, the one when uh, Ileana dies. Oh, yeah. That one's pretty, actually pretty emotional. Not that it's, it made me whatever, but cry or upset. But like, I, not, I'm not emotional about it, but I'm like, they just finished the run of IDW's Transformers, and it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it, I knew it had to end, yeah. but it's depressing that it's finally done. So it's like I don't have it to keep not, going. You don't have something to look forward to. Yeah. That you like. I mean, that's a little bit different, I want to say. Um, I'll let you go. I think I can think of some other, anything else that it maybe was emotional. Hitman, of all books, was pretty good. Uh, the Superman issue, a lot of people cite that one. The overall story arc of that's a finite series. That wasn't just something that was just going until it canceled. Garth Ennis had a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, the end was really sad shockingly you you get tied in with the characters over time and permanent things happen to them you know people die or move on and stuff like that and the ending is pretty rough in a good way justice league international i have a soft spot for because it's a bunch of b-listers with batman and martian manhunter playing mom and dad and these are b-listers that guy gardner booster gold blue beetle fire and ice that at the time you wouldn't give a shit about i mean booster gold and guy gardner are pretty big these days and blue beetle just came back to a lot of fanfare and heroes of Christ, heroes in crisis, but yeah. these were just jobber characters. No one really cared about. And over time, Jim DeMatteis and Keith Giffen gave them actual personalities that you loved. And once that series was over, it kind of left, like you said, with the Transformers things was a sore spot for me because I just wanted more, leave them wanting more, I suppose. And I think of anything else off the top of my head, but Paul Jenkins, Spider-Man, that's another good one. Paul Jenkins is really good with emotional stuff. After the whole John Byrne, Howard Mackey debacle in the early 2000s with Spider-Man, you had J. Michael Straczynski come on amazing, and then you had Paul Jenkins on Peter Parker Spider-Man. And while Straczynski did all the main storyline stuff, Jenkins was one one issues or two issue stories where it was a more emotional Peter Parker type stuff, which I thought was pretty good. That's all I can think of. So yeah, I mean, there's there's books out there. They hit. So anything else before we get off? This issue's already no, I was just trying to think. I'm sure I could probably find, think of other ones, but I'll be honest, like that Uncanny X-Men issue, which I can't find, I'll have to look it up. And we'll, I think it's Uncanny X-Men 280-something by Scott Liddell. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, it was the one right before Colossus joined Magneto's Acolytes. Yeah, it was, and, it was um, around there. It was before Fatal Attractions. Yeah, it was right yeah. before that, because that's the reason he left the X-Men and joined the Acolytes. <laughs> and uh, I just remember as a kid, especially reading it, that was pretty pretty emotional and it's still i mean i don't know if it's gonna have the same effect on me if i read it now especially when i was 12 or 13 whenever i read that it was it was pretty heavy stuff to date honestly that's the most emotional i ever got reading a book so okay uh see what chris's answer is whenever i talk to him after this but that's gonna do it for us in night's end next episode is gonna be prodigal slash troika the penultimate episode of this mini series we only got two episodes left after this thank god I don't know. <laughs> you ready for this whole saga to be done and over with? <laughs> Do we move on to our next thing? Which yeah, we're not going to say yet. But yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think I am. I mean, it, actually, I, I'll admit, I 
towards the end here, it's going to get bad. It gets a little bit better for me. So yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about that next episode. So Jonathan, until next time, to be continued. Hi, hello everyone. This is Dave yet again. Like I promised at the beginning of the episode, since Chris wasn't there, we're going to get his thoughts now. And with me on the line is Christopher Boyce. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I am fantastic as always. Uh, could not make the recording session the first time because of scheduling issues. Yes, I just wanted to put some input in real quick. Uh, Asriel screaming "Leha!" I just imagined it as "Yeehaw!" <laughs> Yeah, what, uh, <laughs> what did you think about the whole Lehaw thing? Uh, I thought it was dumb. It was, as you guys said earlier, I thought it was him in the big old mech suit coming back, but it turns out that it wasn't. And it was just like, so my whole issue with this entire story, um, I really liked the way they set it up as like a game of death style with Batman fighting these masters. Okay. But I really feel that they should have been part of the Order of St. Dumont, just not some random ninja club. They should have had more pull or more, maybe more association with Azriel and the St. Dumont and, you know, actually make Leha alive, bring it back to that, and kind of give it this big bombastic finish. So you're you're thinking that instead of Bruce going with Lady Shiva to get training, that our Leha's still alive and Bruce accidentally gets caught up with that and that's his de facto training i mean that would even be better i guess i mean you could just get lady shiva out of there altogether and just have bruce doing his own thing who he happens to find out that the order of saint Dumas is coming for Azriel and he steps in to try to help him but Azriel is still so insane he just doesn't care that bruce is helping him and still tries to fight him anyways i feel like you should have tied those stories in a little bit tighter together other than just Let's introduce more randomness to this already super random story. Yeah, it would be interesting to see like the disciples of Biss, since that's what uh, Leha became. Azriel's yeah, the uh, Azriel character's arch enemy was Biss throughout the entire Order of Saint Dumas existence, I suppose. So, but yeah, th mm -hmm. th that would have been pretty cool as well. Uh, I like that. What did you think about the ninjas in general, Jonathan? didn't really have a problem with them. I, I mean, you said it would have been better to be agents of Leha. With what we had, what did you like any of that whatsoever? I mean, I liked the general story and the way it was made. It was just they were so nothing characters. There was really nothing to them other than I'm a quick adversary who's going to be gone and never remembered beyond this story at all. Uh, I do like that the master with no arms ended up getting kneed to death. Kind yeah, of just, a, just a flying knee drop just <laughs> imploding his chest what did you think about the catwoman stuff did you think it was worth having in the story did you think it was unnecessary like we did or i thought it was terrible terrible wow. it was yeah it was just it served really nothing to the story the first catwoman issue she gets a big old robot arm just classic 90s Let's throw a giant cyborg mech guy into the mix for no reason. The second issue, it was kind of nice seeing the aftermath of the whole helicopter on the bridge part. But other than that, it was, it was yeah, just it was, a whole bunch of nothing. It was just a couple pages in the aftermath for her just to tie it in that she says everything's hunky-dory now. And I guess Batman's back and the imposter's gone. Yeah. Um, so speaking of imposter, I believe it's detective 676 where Azriel's hallucinating about St. Dumas and St. Dumas braids him for being the imposter and a fake. So Azriel yells out at St. Dumas hallucination, pretty much no you, 
He says, you're fake. You don't exist. You're a hallucination. The very next panel is the same shot, but him shooting Batarang saying, so die at the hallucination. It's just like, you literally just said this is a hallucination and it's not real, but you're still going to try to attack it. Yeah, he falls for his own hallucination uh, a page later. That's That was pretty funny. Since we're, we're on the Catwoman part still, in that issue, me and Jonathan talked about the red spots. What did you think that was? So I thought the red spots were just the paint chipping off. Mm-hmm. I thought he painted it like the blue, but the red just started chipping off, and it was just a little bit of a... Uh, a lead up to the color change. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't even think of it that way. I, I figured when he got lit on fire, it was like a a varnish of some sort. But yeah, something kind of like that. I never thought of it that way. That that may have been what they were going for. Hmm. That would make yeah, sense. Just showing some showing some cracks in the armor. And truth be told, I kind of like the design with the red. Um, it's a shame that it was just for that one second. I think that would have been. Really cool to have Azrael in the red suit being a villain about it. Even even earlier, if they well, I guess it would take away from the the quote unquote impact of the reveal of him still alive or not still alive, but the the reveal of him coming out of the water with a new costume. It yeah, would have deadened that if he had it sooner and went after other people. Something you guys didn't mention was that uh, Harold came back, and it turns out that Harold was living in the Batcave the entire time, just eating candy bars. Yeah, there was a there was a thing early on where Dick and Tim were in the Batcave, and they thought while Azrael was gone, and they saw a shadow come out. Nightwing was about to attack it, and Robin said, "No, don't do it." And I knew right away it was going to be Harold. It was like an outline of Azrael's costume, but it was Harold wearing like a bandana in a goofy way, like an old pleading lady <laughs> or something like that. And then they they found out the the weird bat train and all that stuff. I guess it was about the footage. Yeah, I and yeah, saw the footage of Azrael going insane. I guess also I shows Azrael's lack of attention. I don't know, even though he had alarms and stuff put down there. I guess it was just a way of keeping Harold like saying, "Hey, here's Harold. Here's just what he's been doing the whole time. He's been just hiding out down here in a hole eating candy bars." Yeah, I wonder how long he could go on eating candy bars alone. They said he had a year's supply, so that's a shit ton of candy bars. Yeah, he's probably a diabetic at this point. Of course, I never know his fate. I mean, he's still in the titles when we end this story, so... I mean, I know it happens to him eventually, ultimately. What happens to him? He ends up getting killed in Hush. Really? Yeah, the end of Hush. Um, He gets his voice back because he's been mute the entire time. Oh, fuck, that's right. And then he gets shot in the head. That's right. Man, Jeff Loeb fucking sucks. (laughs) <laughs> Amen to that, brother. God, man, it's a—he's the M Night Shyamalan of writers. You 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 write yeah. one or two amazing things up front, and then your career just can't recover from that. But people will still watch <laughs> it or read it or whatever. But that's a try to coast on that success. Yeah, that's a different run though. He did write one of my favorite movies of all time though, which is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Commando. That is true, yeah. but that was also back when he was good. Yeah. At rating, <laughs> well, that's that's subjective on saying it's good, but or objective, yeah, subjective on being good. Is there anything else that before we get into the finale? Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, so you guys were bringing up John Paul's mania and how he should have killed more people and how the rat should have like ate that guy. I agree a hundred percent. He should have been putting a lot more bodies in the morgue, but at the same time. I don't think I think that the problem is with the, at the time the fans would probably latch onto that more and be like, yeah, this is freaking cool. So when Bruce comes back, they're like, no, we don't want him back. And I think that's not exactly the direction they were going to uh, for. And 
I believe it was you or Jonathan said when they were talking about Jigsaw and that the crossover happened and that maybe he took something away from the Punisher. I would say that would be kind of cool, but that would also be DC inadvertently saying that, yes, that Marvel character is better. And yes, we are copying off of him. Yeah, that, that's a good point. They wouldn't want to admit something to that effect. Yeah. Anything else before we get to the um, finale, the final fights and the epilogues and stuff? Just that three-way handshake of Robin, Nightwing, and Bruce when they're all talking in the Batcave. And it's just Robin, or it's it's Nightwing and Bruce shaking hands with Robin grabbing Bruce's wrist at the same time. And it's yeah, that was, horribly awkward. Yeah, that was kind of weird. It's just like, hey, Robin, can you give us a minute here? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to you next. Just chill. The ending, me and Jonathan both agree that the best part of this book was the, the mirroring of Bane catching Batman off guard in uh, Nightfall, how they mirrored that with Batman catching Azrael off guard and it's like shot for shot, panel for panel. And then they had that subsequent fight. Did you think that was the right way to go? <laughs> the whole thing at the end? Uh, you know, the ending was kind of good. Why I say kind of good is that I do like that it starts right at the, the grandfather clock where it started with the Bane fight and then it goes into the Batcave. And I like the way that Batman ends up dispatching him by tricking him. It was kind of cool. It's just the problem is that that was it and that there was no real lead up with Bruce and Azrael. And I guess we get Azrael butting heads with Robin all the time and all that stuff. But it's just it's, it's back to the kin solving issue where it's just like, hey, there's these issues where he's doing this stuff and it's over and he's healed and we're never going back to it again. Yeah. It, it just makes no sense to me. What I did like, Bruce coming home and telling him, get out of my house and I'm Batman. I made him, not you. Nazriel's like, no, I am Batman. This is what I am now. And I thought that was, is it was, it was an interesting commentary on comic creatorship. And especially because there is some, con there used to be some controversy around who created Batman, you know, it was always just Bob Kane, but it ended up being Bill Finger was the guy who designed him. And I don't know if anyone's ever seen the documentary. I believe it's on Hulu about the original creation of Batman. It's very interesting. But it was, for the times, these characters have been around, these new creators that are essentially owned by the company. So here's this crazy, buffed up, robotic Batman that nobody wants. And he's pretty much saying like, nope, I am Batman. You have to deal with it while the original standing right in his face. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. I mean, we've talked about how it's a commentary, but I, what you brought up was actually a pretty good point there. I'm not sure if that's what they were going for, but that's what I saw out of it. It's good regardless. Um, what about when they actually clashed after those words? I, I enjoyed that Bruce knew to lay out of the cave, whereas Azrael never took the time to learn things. So it showed it, but... I said how stupid the ending was. I I liked how he got rid of, he outsmarted Jean-Paul in the end. However, the whole, okay, I need you to just go away thing. What, <laughs> what were your thoughts on that? Yes, I did not like that at all. I thought it would have been much better if Bruce ends up blinding him because of the night vision goggles and the light breaking through and maybe throws a few punches and knocks him down because he knows that John Paul is fucked up. He says, all right, we're going to try to arrest him. But then it ends up like John Paul ends up getting away. And it's not a, oh, yeah, we're good now. See you later. It's a, oh, shit, he's still out there and I need to find him type of thing. That's the way it should have ended with that. Yeah, it's just so 
weird that Bruce just let him go instead of trying to say, I should rehabilitate this guy. I should, he could be one of my wards, but they just let him go. This, that wasn't, <laughs> that's not what Batman would ever do. No, never. Like, you and to bring this- back, to bring up to my point earlier, if you would have made those Ninja Masters Order of St. Dumas, they could have got him. And then he would have been like, I'm in my rightful place being at the Order of St. Dumas, blah, 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 blah. And you can continue the story and, you know, make it a little bit better than what we got. Yeah, that would make more sense. Having his own kind come after him or take him back. Instead, we get Showcase, which <laughs> John Paul just becomes a bum. And some guy missing his legs on a wheel board, not even a chair, but a wheel board singing I Feel Like I'm Fixing to Die by Country Joe and the Fish, which I had to Google because any time that somebody sings in a comic book and I don't recognize the lyrics, I have to know what the song is. Wow. All right. Well, that's I, today I learned. Yes. There's a lot of Enos books where they're singing and I have no idea what the hell they are. Yeah. It's just uh, John Paul is the defender of bums, which reeks of spawn. <laughs> I thought of that too. Just Al Simmons ass just sitting by the fire waiting to beat people up. Yep. And that's uh so like the the story was pretty enjoyable overall, but it just it fell flat and the stuff leading up to it wasn't that good and it really just took the wind out of the sails for me. What would you rate it? I would rate it a six. I could take it or leave it. But it is kind of the conclusion to the saga of Asbat, so I think it's a little bit more important and that you should read it, as opposed to maybe the last two or three volumes that we did with the Crusade and the Night Quest and stuff. It was that you can kind of skip over. This one I kind of recommend a little bit more, but it's still not going to be that. Do you great. mean the Search, not the Crusade? Yes, yes. Okay, that's okay. what I, I was going to say because yeah, the Crusade was the whole <laughs> Asbat thing. If you just went from Broken Bat or Who Rules the Night to this, it'd be very confusing. Right. Yeah, he he really should have killed more of those jobber villains to make him more of a threat and hammer at home of how awful he actually is. Just give him that contrast of classic Batman to 90s Batman. I still think it's it was rushed and if they gave him more time and I don't maybe had more people in a think tank of some sort. I don't know. Denny O'Neill has some good ideas with the execution was just off. But uh, you said a six. I said a six. Jonathan set a seven. Jonathan's the nice guy here. Comes out to an average of 6.3 for Night's End, which is pretty good compared to the last couple of uh, episodes we had here with Lake of Fire and The Search. Also, we had an email question about books that were emotional for you. Any books that did that for you? There are definitely books that made me feel something. I can't recall a book ever moving me to tears, per se, but... If you guys haven't picked up on this yet, Garth Ennis is my favorite author. So like pretty much anything by him. You said Hitman. I would agree with that, even though I haven't read it nearly as long. Preacher. Uh, uh, I was going to say the, the, the line that uh, Bator says at the end is it honestly still gets me. I just read it recently again. I don't know. That's that's just me. But for uh, a Pokemon ass type of demon from hell to say something completely different and actually mean it, it's... I don't know. Enos, Enos is either super edgelord for me or, man, this guy can fucking write. Uh, I think it's that's what makes it so good is that it's so extreme and edgy. And then when those soft moments shines through, like it really fucking shines through. Preacher's another one. Uh, his rover, Red Charlie. Uh, I, 
I held off getting the sixth issue for that for like a year and a half because I knew something horrible was going to happen probably. Uh, uh, is, I was pleasantly surprised. What is that? Uh, one of his war books? Uh, no, the war ones that I was going to bring up too, even those are really good. But Whoa. Rover Red Charlie is about uh, oh, three dog. dogs yes, yes. during the apocalypse. Yes. Six issues, highly recommend it. Even the first volume of Crossed, there's a part what? where... Yeah, there's a part where they find the downed helicopter with the soldier's like confession of him talking about how he flew the scientists around to disable the nuclear buildings, but they ended up crashing and they ended up having to kill the scientists and all this stuff. Like, and, and there's so much chaos going through that those small moments that shine through, it really is impactful. You're the first person the, to uh, <laughs> say that cross was a, an emotional thing for you. Just the first volume. Everything after that is completely 100% just gore porn. Something that really made me emotional was definitely Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, the death of Peter Parker the second time. Then the death of Rio really mm -hmm. was impactful. Uh, Miles' mom. But then having Secret Wars end and having it end with Miles finding out that his mom and his dad are back together and she's alive and everything's okay. It was, it was just really nice. It was a good ending. On the same level of feel good, the last one that I could think of uh, is just a love, love letter to all things fiction in the public domain, which would be planetary. Uh, yes. I thought that, and that that was just that's the ten out of ten A plus story of all time in the medium, if you ask me. Really, planetary is your favorite run. It's one of them. It's it's only four volumes. It's a super easy read, but it's. At first, I didn't like it, the first like three issues, because I'm like, what the fuck is going on? But once you start to catch on what's going on with all these characters being stand-ins for public domain, like there's fucking Tarzan, but it's not really Tarzan, shit like that, and you really start putting the story together, it's something very incredible. Even the crossover with Batman, which you would think on paper is just wouldn't work, you would hear to solicit for, uh, there's going to be a crossover with Batman. It's like, what the fuck? And it, it's actually good. It's actually really good. <laughs> Yeah, the the other problem with Planetary was at the time if you were reading it monthly, it would take you, I think, ten years for thirty issues. Oof, I think that is going to be it for me. All right, well, if uh, you had any questions, comments, or queries, where would you send that to, Chris? To the runpod at gmail dot com. That is the runpod at gmail dot com. Chris, thank you very much for giving us your thoughts and hanging in there with us, Chris. Until next time. To be continued until next time. Wow, you stuck with the show to the end. The show is produced and edited by me, as well as those oh-so-lovely vocals were by me. Also, a special thank you to Kimberly Lee for the show art. You can see more of her work at KimberlyLeeArt.Weebly.com. If you truly enjoyed this, please share it and tell a friend and vote us five stars on whatever podcast platform you use, as that would help us out tremendously. Thank you so much for listening.